Hello, everyone. This is Cheryl A. And you're listening to On My Watch. <clears throat> I'm not feeling great today, and I don't mean physically. I feel emotionally low, as I guess many, many of us are feeling the same way. It really is. I mean, we're up to 80, more than 80 days, and sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel that it's everything is so futile. But anyway... I touch base with all my friends and I know they're all feeling the same way and we just, we have to keep going. We have to keep this awareness up and I've got a lot to say. So thank you for listening. And I do mean that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening because I'm receiving such lovely feedback and I really do appreciate it. And it really um, helps me give purpose to this podcast. A lot of people are telling me they're, they're really enjoying the simplicity of it and it helps them with understanding what's going on. You know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not a historian. I'm none of those things, but it is just something that I'm passionate about. I'm angry about. And I, I feel as though I have to stay that way and be a voice for those, you know, for those people that we're not hearing. And so there's not just me out there. There's many, many of us and much smarter and brighter people than me with bigger voices and bigger audiences. So you can always tap into those. There's a lot that I want to talk about today, even though I felt that I had nothing to say when I woke up this morning. But anyway, it doesn't take long to find to find out what's going on and what the topics are. But I want to start with an image that I saw this morning that there's hundreds and thousands of images, but this one was particularly gut-wrenching to me and taken by one of the journalists on the ground in Palestine. And it's a man, I'll describe it to you, some of you may have seen it. It's a man on a push bike and he's got kind of a uh, milk crate or a crate attached to this back of the bike, which normally you would be carrying groceries or whatever in the back, I'd imagine. But do you know what he's got in the back? He put his son's dead body in the back and he went to bury him alone. And some journalist must have known that that baby had died or that child had died. And he's walked in, he's picked the child up put him on his bike, in his crate. It's his moment. It's his moment of grief. We just need to take a minute and think about that. It's extraordinary. So much that are happening is extraordinary that we are still sitting back and watching. Still the world is silent and that is infuriating me. As I imagine it's infuriating everybody else. So I am in the United States. I'm in San Francisco. And as I said, I think in my previous podcast, that there's a different kind of thinking with the people that I'm with and the people that I'm hanging around. And I think that's interesting because, you know, we all live in our silos, don't we? We are all made up of the news we consume, the podcasts we listen to, the books we read. And the people around us and the politicians and the society and culturally and everything else. So I was in a conversation yesterday with a friend of mine and I called Netanyahu a dictator. Now, they all think I'm mental here and I probably am. And it was pointed out by one of my friends that, no, 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 he said, Israel is a democracy. He's not a dictator. I was like, oh, really? 
Really? He's been in power off and on for 16 years. And it's not like he was voted in every time. Yes, there was voting. There's no doubt about that. But he manipulates the system almost every time to gain power. And he's trying to do it again. I mean, this time he had to pair up or or do deals with 18 different parties to form government. And he'll do anything. He'll sign any deal with the devil to stay in power. I just wonder, is that really democracy? Is it the end of democracy for Israel? I mean, just before October 7th, he was trying to change the judicial system. I mean, he's up for corruption charges. He's trying to change the judicial system in Israel so that it works in his favour. And you're still trying to tell me that's a democracy? Well, it's a democracy by name, and that's just about it at the moment. I really think that Israel, with all these atrocities, has really shown itself. And it's not only shown itself to the world, but it's shown itself to its own people. And often I wonder why this American government is, well, politicians, because it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans as well, are so wedded to Netanyahu and what he's doing. And people say to me, oh, it's because Israel is the only democracy in the region. Well, good luck with that, because that's not going to last long, I don't think. Anyway, so that's my view on what's happening with Netanyahu, uh, the dictator, and Netanyahu and his murderous government. And I want to talk about something else I saw when I'm talking about Israel here, is I saw and you might have seen this, I saw this video where there was it was shot in Israel somewhere, and I don't know who took it, but there was an IDF soldier and there was a woman, just a civilian, a woman who would have been maybe in her late 50s, and she gets out of a car and she's obviously, it's a nice car, so she's obviously, you know, of some kind of affluence, and she gets out of the car and she goes up to that IDF terrorist and she starts shouting at him, shouting abuse, but mainly saying, you're murderers, you're bloodthirsty, you're ruining this country. And I just, for a moment there, I just, you know, I felt so sorry for her and so sorry. And it must be so hard for all those Israelis that are living in that country that absolutely don't agree with anything that's going on and that feel that the humanitarian side of thing must be as painful for them, of course, as it is for us, but probably even more so because it's their government doing it. And I started to think about, you know, the comparisons with Australia and, you know, even recently when we were talking about the voice for Indigenous people and how people were so divided over that, I would imagine that Israel is the same. They're so divided over that. And it broke my heart for her and the many people that feel that way because they're as helpless as we are. It seems that nobody can stop this. Well, somebody can stop it. And I I really don't know. I, I feel as though at this stage it might be the US government, it might be Joe Biden that can stop it, but I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure that anybody can, although what they can do is they can stop. They can stop feeding the money and the arms that they're sending to Israel. So the Biden administration 
again, and I think this is the second time it's happened, stand to be corrected here, but the Biden administration again bypassed Congress on weapons sales to Israel. Now, I don't know how many times that's happened in history. I'm going to find that out. But you would think that that's an extraordinary move to aid a genocide. I don't understand it. I really don't. So I think the Americans are nervous about it. I'm not sure whether the Democrats are nervous about it. There are some Democrats that definitely are. But another thing that I'm sensing here is the American people are getting very nervous about it because Biden, for sure, is losing popularity. This isn't a popular move in the United States. 300,000 people are not supporting Biden. Um, And there is a real division for those that did vote for Biden. It's the same, you know, in Australia. I voted for Anthony Albanese. I've been a Labor supporter, you know, most of my life. And I won't vote for them again because of, well, I won't vote for Albanese again because of their stance on, on Palestine. You know, I think Albanese let us down day one or day two of the massacre, he stood by Biden's side while Biden was offering um, money and arms to Israel. There's Anthony Albanese on the podium in the US next to Biden saying, well, they're going to be sending aid to Palestine. I mean, that in itself is mind-bogglingly stupid and I don't know how somebody thought that that was the right thing to do. But you know what, Anthony Albanese, history will judge you. And you know what, Biden, history will judge you too. I've always been a left-supporting person and, do you know, I'm finding it very difficult now to think about where I stand in terms of politics because those two leaders, um, and I'm only pointing those out because they're ones that I'm familiar with, have really seriously, they've not only let down the Palestinians, they've let down humanity. They have stood by and we have watched this live and they have aided and abetted a murderous regime. So the other thing I want to talk about is Zionism. I'm hearing a lot of people, Deborah Conway, one of them, a lot of the American movie stars or others talking about how they're Zionists. Now, what we've got to remember here is being a Zionist is not necessarily, well, it isn't being Jewish, right? And it is definitely an extreme form of, I don't know, I'm not going to call it a religion because it's not. It started as a political party. But Zionism in itself is inherently racist because the whole point of Zionism is to exclude everyone else. And I'm starting to think more and more that the people that are Zionists, and I'm hearing these on Instagram pages from Australia, from here, all sorts of places, even Biden himself said that he was a Zionist. I don't know whether that's true or not. He was just bragging or had a moment. But either way, in itself, I think that that is a racist, dangerous project. And the Zionists tend to label themselves or align themselves, if you like, very closely, obviously, to the Jews. And then they use that tact of being, when we criticise Zionism, as being anti-Semitic. Well, that's bullshit and it's completely not true. The Jewish people of the world 
I, I think, a large amount of Jewish people of the world uh, as appalled and disgusted as to what's happening as well as we are. But I don't think the Zionists are very much. I don't think they're that divided. And even day 80, over day 80 of this uh, genocide, you've still got the vocal ones standing up and saying that the only priority in life is to protect Israel. Well, that I think is racist in itself. So the other day I decided to um, uh, have a look at, I've been following, you might remember her, I've been following a woman called Francesca Albanese and you might remember her. She came to Australia uh, very early on and I think we've spoken about her on this podcast. She was here and it was a coincidence. She was invited to Australia because she's the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territories and she has been that. That's a three-year term. So that's her job, right, is to concentrate on what's happening in Palestine for the United Nations. I thought she was brilliant when she was out in Australia. She spoke at the press club, was asked the most ridiculous questions by almost all the journalists that asked questions. But either way, she didn't shy away from stupidity. She was on it and up to it. Anyway, I've been following her. And she talks about what she concentrates on is war crimes. And who is it that is committing a crime, a war crime, in the eyes of the United Nations, for example? And so she then says, yes, but so is what Israel is doing to Palestine, to Gaza and the West Bank, is as much or more of a war crime than what was done to them. So, you know, I then decided to look up war crimes and to do a bit of research. And I've got, I came up with seven points and I want to read them to you. You and I, while we're listening, will tick each one as to whether what Israel has or hasn't committed, if you like. So number one, deliberate targeting of civilians or non-combatants, tick. Almost at 30,000 Palestinians dead, of which more than 8,000 are children. Torture or inhumane treatment of prisoners of war, we have seen that. We have seen what they do to people. There was a young boy taken into custody and there is a photo of him and you might have seen this. He went in, a healthy young man, and he's come out. He has cancer, he got no treatment, and he's come out and he's only got weeks to live. That's just one example, I would say, of hundreds and thousands. And in terms of torture and inhumane treatment of prisoners of war, I would say that they have been doing that for a very long time. This isn't anything new. Attacking, number three, attacking civilian objects such as schools, hospitals, without military necessity. Well, I mean, I've lost count in terms of how many hospitals they've bombed, how many schools they've bombed with people, with civilians in them. Do you remember some of the photographs very early on when they went to the, into Al-Shifa Hospital supposedly looking for Hamas? That, of course, has all been debunked. debunked. There was no Hamas there. They shot patients in their beds. They turned off power because you know how they love murdering in the dark? They turned off power uh, to the incubators that kept the premature babies alive. 
Number four, use of prohibited weapons such as chemical or biological weapons. Well, I think that's white phosphorus that they've been using in South Lebanon. Also, I would even argue, I would even argue that them putting in salted water in tunnels and into the ground to ruin the land for future use has got to come under that. Number five, forced displacement of civilians or other forms of population transfers. How many times did we hear from the Israeli propaganda machine that they were giving notice to civilians to move and then they would bomb that area? Well, that wasn't happening. We all know that wasn't happening. And they have forced those people to pack up and move from the northern part of Gaza to the southern part of Gaza. And now they've forced people to move and there's nowhere to go. And so that's number five and that's where we're on now. Denying access to humanitarian aid for civilians in need. Well, we know that. And they're making that difficult more and more. They not only have they denied, and, you know, this is probably not listed as a war crime because it's probably hasn't happened before, but they were killing and murdering humanitarian people. Remember um, in the early days when the doctors at Medicine Sans Frontiers were talking about how many doctors had been murdered, how many health workers had been murdered, and now they're denying it by killing the workers and also by not letting humanitarian aid in. Now, we're talking about any type of humanitarian aid, even when we're talking about food, water, everything is drip-fed, nothing is enough, and it takes days for food to arrive. You know, I heard this week that two children died of starvation. That can go under number six, one, two, and three as well. Rape, sexual slavery or other forms of sexual violence. Well, we've been hearing a lot of talk about that, but I don't know if any of that had been verified, but there has been a lot of eyewitnesses speaking about that. Oh, that was number seven. And number eight is the willful destruction of cultural places. Well, they're bombing mosques, they're bombing museums, they're bombing galleries, they're bombing places of worship, they're bombing Christian churches, There's no limit. There's no limit to what these barbarians are doing. So when I have a look at this, and this is only eight war crimes, there are many more, they have broken every single one. And today the Biden administration bypasses Congress on weapons sales to Israel. They're not only selling them weapons, they're also giving them the money to buy weapons. And all those war crimes were committed so I don't know. I, I, you know, this is why I'm feeling the way I am today, and I'm sure many of you are feeling the same way. One of the other observations that I've made this week is that wonderful journalist on the ground, Motaz, that I've spoken about before. He put up a post today saying we're out of painkillers. So a lot of the children and adults that have had to have amputations performed have done that without painkillers and without anaesthetic. A lot of the women given birth have no painkillers. A lot of the women having caesareans, no painkillers. Just imagine that. Uh, There's an American guy um, that I've only just discovered, but I think he's been very vocal since day one, called Greg J. Stoker. 
I, I really, this spoke to me. He called uh, the Israeli government and the IDF in particular God's chosen lunatics, and they certainly are crazy, dangerous lunatics. Another thing that happened this week is that the Israeli government decided to steal. Uh, this is this is true. They decided to steal Palestinian money to the tune of two point five million. There's some kind of tax collection where this money actually belongs to the Palestinian people, and they've stolen it. So they're not only stealing lives; they're stealing land, and they're stealing money. I mean, what kind of society? How do you go on as a country? with those values and with those morals. I simply don't understand it. Anyway, just a couple of things I want to address. Some people have been asking me why the Lebanese coffee cup on our artwork. So the podcast is called On My Watch because I felt that this is me and this is what I'm watching. And also it was a play on our watch. You know, what are we doing as a global society to stop this genocide? to amplify the voices of people that have been persecuted by this genocide. Uh, So that came from that. The Lebanese coffee cup was what I do is I wake up in the morning, I'm an early riser, and I'm having my coffee and I'm having my toast and I start to read and sift through the news and that's when the idea came to me and also I was pushed along by a friend of mine and I thought, well, I'm having my coffee, I'm eating my toast, that's why the coffee cup. But then I decided I didn't want to go for a traditional coffee cup because I saw this image of the Lebanese coffee cup with Lebanese coffee in it and it's called Ahwe and, again, for all those Arabic-speaking people out there listening, like my cousins in Lebanon, um, excuse my accent, I have been living in Australia all my life. But anyway, the Lebanese coffee cup with the ahwe in it reminded me of my mother. She loved ahwe. Uh, we drank it a lot in her household. And it was really, I think, for me, just an ode to her. Okay, that's it from me. It is New Year. I don't know what to say about that. I'm not looking... I, I, I mean, in the past, I would have said, have a happy and wonderful new year. Well, I don't know if that's possible anymore. Go in peace. Until next time.